When it comes to weight loss surgery, we're ready to dive into more than the basics. I'm Whitney, your host, bariatric lifestyle coach and creator of Level Up Bariatrics. And I'm your co-host, Gianna, weight loss surgery veteran and bariatric peer coach. You're tuning in to the ultimate podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the world of weight loss surgery, where raw and genuine meets captivating and inspiring. Let's go. Good morning, all you awesome people. This is Whitney, your host of the Level Up Bariatrics podcast. I've got with me today my co-host, Gianna. Hello, hello. And the amazing Kim Tirapelli. Hi. Kim is a registered dietitian. She specializes in bariatric sports nutrition, which is super interesting. We've not really had anybody yes. on here like this just yet. Um, and she's been working with bariatric clients and athletes for the past 16 years. She has also worked in inpatient and outpatient clinical settings at a bariatric surgical center and also served as a collegiate sports dietitian for a division one university, which is awesome. Wow. Kim, yeah, Kim took her passion for both sports nutrition and bariatric nutrition and combined those areas to serve a more specific population in need. She now focuses on working with bariatric individuals who have fitness goals, but do not know how to adjust their nutrition to match their needs. In 2022, Kim opened her online private practice called Active Bariatric Nutrition, where she works one-on-one -on -one with her clients to optimize their nutrition to meet their movement goals. Kim, I think this is just an amazing bio here. And I truly, truly, you know, from a bariatric dietitian's perspective, especially appreciate that you do these two specialties and kind of combine them because I mean, there's, there's really not many of you out there, to be honest. <laughs> I'm yeah, not I, one of you. I know that. Yeah, I know it's, it's kind of a, a niche area, but um, yeah, I just, I'd always had interest in um, sports nutrition, but my whole basic clinical career, I practiced in bariatrics. And so what I found was in the last 10 years in the outpatient um, surgical center that I was the dietitian for at a bariatric uh, center, I always had questions about like, Hey, I'm going to start running a marathon. Hey, I want to start lifting. I want to do all these things. And, you know, there was really no guidance out there. There's really no um, research out there. And so what I found was I used a lot of the information that I would utilize with my athletes. So the sports nutrition information, and I would then layer that in with their bariatric guidelines. And we kind of would make a plan from there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a real kind of specialized area, not a ton of information out there. No. That's and, awesome. you know, even when I was in the, uh, when I was in the clinical setting, I most definitely never specialized in sports nutrition, nor was it an interest of mine, but I did have a handful of patients that would uh, really, really get into the boot camps and the weightlifting. I mean, uh, our, our target in our specific area that we were in, I didn't get a whole lot of young people or, or people who wanted to go this route. And I wasn't online either. So I, I wasn't reaching out to those people, but when I did get them, I'm like, I don't know what the heck to to tell you like I need to find someone like <clears throat> Kim <laughs> yeah yeah there was no one like you available it's so true and from a patient's perspective there was a point in my journey where I'd gotten that initial weight off and I was more comfortable in the gym more comfortable in just the athletic portion like this new identity of myself right and I had my dietitian Whitney fantastic dietitian um in the bariatric setting clinically but 
like you said, they're kind of two separate niches. There's the bariatric dietitian sector, and then there's the sports nutrition sector. And mm-hmm. at the intersection of them, there's really not a lot of support. So no. Kim, you would have been a great resource for me a couple years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I hear yeah, I know. And you know, your goals over time too, as they change and um, after surgery, you know, mm-hmm. folks, you know, they start where they're at and then they move into maybe more movement. And yeah, the nutrition changes throughout that whole process too, because as your movement goals change and as you're able to push yourself more or have longer duration or, you know, just maybe, maybe you want to start working into endurance, the nutrition changes. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's definitely a, an area where, you know, it, it's fun for me because I get to combine both the passions of nutrition that I like to work in. And so it's, right. it's really been great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we most recently had uh, your client and friend Rob on yeah. our podcast. And, you know, he discussed a lot about the um, the ability to get out of the calorie mindset and, you know, the calorie restriction mindset, especially to support your weight loss after surgery and to, of course, you know, do more things like uh, protect your muscle mass and bone density, all, you know, everything that comes with exercise after, um, after surgery, but, you know, knowing that you have to increase your calories in order to do that. So I wanted to know, and you can kind of share with our listeners, how common is it for bariatric patients to be too restrictive with their calories after surgery? Yeah. I mean, it's very common. And I think it's just because initially, obviously we're so limited because of the restriction of the surgical, you know, tool itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what happens is, is as folks are able to move their body more, that nutrition that they're, you know, somewhat, whether it's self restriction, because they think that that's where they have to stay for life, or, you know, that's what they were told to do, whatever, what they find is that it's not enough to fuel the amount of movement that their body is doing. And so that is where that intersection comes in of like, okay, now I'm to a point where the bariatric straight bariatric guidelines are not going to meet my needs and I don't feel Mm -hmm. good. I'm tired. I'm, you know, I'm not seeing the change in my muscle, um, you know, gains, whatever that might be in terms of their goals. And that's where we have to say, okay, you know, we have to make some adjustments, whether that's increasing overall calories, and that's going to come from maybe more protein, more carbohydrates, more fat, et cetera, and really make that plan meet whatever it is that your goal is. And that's okay. Um, I think, I think that misconception out there of like, we have to stay in this eight to 1200 calories for life, you know, because that's really where, you know, the initial research has suggested is kind of where folks land in that first year. But beyond that, needs change. And so I I really try to push that, you know, we have to just listen to our bodies and, and we feel, you know, based on what you need. And some people are going to still be on the lower side. I have some clients that are, you know, 3000 calories. I have some clients that are at 1600 or 1400 and that's okay because everyone's, you know, needs are going to be based on their, you know, their gender, their movement, their goals, you know, their medical history, all those things play a role in their needs. And so, yeah, it's, it's very common to see that that early on and hopefully over time, you know, we can kind of increase overall intake. Right. And how often or how I literally just forgot what I was saying as it was coming out of my mouth. <laughs> hey, when that <laughs> happens to I, the best of us. <laughs> I was actually starting to read it, but I was like, wait, I'm going to ask something different. Um, how do you approach like how do you talk to someone who feels like uh, you know, their mindset is such a low calorie mindset. Like h- how do you approach the- those people who are very triggered with increasing their calories or they just have this really steadfast mindset to say like, I don't want to go beyond 1000 calories. Like that's just right. obviously unhealthy to, you know, we know that's unhealthy, but how do you convey that to someone and get them to understand the importance of increasing calories to support their continued weight loss and health? 
Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I try to meet them where they're at. Um, it, you know, as and you know, this too, as a dietitian, you can't just tell folks, Hey, you need to do this. Like if they're not right. bought into it, they don't understand it or feel good about it. They're not going to do it. And so right. I try to meet them with where they're at in terms of, okay, where you are right now. And then talk a lot about too, like, remember that the bariatric surgical tool was also about other non-skill victories, like feeling better in your workouts, changing your body composition, um, being able to do all these other things that they wanted to do, you know, on the other side of having the surgery and, mm -hmm. If they're too restrictive on their overall, you know, nutritional intake, they're not going to be able to see those things achieved as well. And so right. I try to kind of change the picture to look at the whole, you know, why did we do this? You know, why did we have the surgery? How is this going to change your life? What are you ultimately trying to achieve? And maybe we don't even talk about calories. Um, you know, I, I for some folks, I'll say, okay, how would you feel about just adding in a, a pre-workout snack? And we do it gradually over time where we don't just go from, okay, they're at a thousand now and I'm not going to jump in and be like, yeah, you really need 1600. Like that's mm -hmm. too much of a jump. Okay. Right. Regardless of whether that's, you know, the number that might be something that you and I might calculate for somebody that's too much of a jump for someone that's right. had bariatric surgery. So we'll do it very slowly and we'll start with wherever they're at that they're comfortable with what they feel like they could, you know, achieve. And we can just start with maybe adding one small snack, or we just try to increase our protein by an ounce at each meal. How, you know what I mean? So we, we do it in very small incremental ways that are more realistic. Okay. Gianna, how did you feel like mentally about increasing calories? Were you immediately okay with it just because you knew it was going to benefit or how did you feel? I think luckily, like through my research, I had understood the importance and through just my journey and my experience, I at some point understood the importance of healing my relationship with food. And that's what really tied back to what was making me feel weird about increasing my calories. So once mm -hmm. I focused on that and I was able to look at food as more of a beneficial thing, as more of like a fuel source, I was able to increase over time without feeling that like guilt that a lot of people feel or that worry like, hey, I did all of this. What if I increase calories and start regaining? And I think mm -hmm. the foundation for all of that for me was just knowledge. Like I had so many people telling me, oh, protein, 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 this and that. And like, I didn't really understand why that was the case. Why do I have to eat more protein? Why yes. is it important to incorporate healthy fats? Why are carbohydrates my friend and not my enemy? So understanding that like foundational knowledge of how it functions in my body helped me to feel more comfortable in incorporating more of it to fuel the level of activity I was at, you know, after that one year mark where like a thousand calories is just not going to suffice. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What about tracking, Kim? Do you, uh, what, what would you say the percentage of your clients are tracking or okay with tracking willingness to track? What yeah. you can tell us everything about tracking. <clears throat> Well, I, I have, I have clients, I have some that track every day they have for, you know, many years, they enjoy it. It's something that they like to do, you know, so there's that end of the spectrum. I have some folks that are like, you know, it's just, I don't feel comfortable with it. And so, you know, there's different ways. You don't have to just necessarily track like calories. You can track, you can take pictures of your meals if you wanted to, you know, if you're trying to be mindful of like, you know, meeting a certain goal, um, you can just uh, you know, use the plate method, which I, I've talked about, you know, with the, the um, active bariatric plates. So we talk about depending upon the type of movement that you're doing for the day, you can shift your plate around to incorporate a little bit more, you know, whether it's a lower intensity day. So more protein based as we increase our intensity level, we do need more carbohydrate. So that's where we can get in maybe an extra serving here of fruit or whole grain or, you know, vegetables, et cetera. And so there's different ways to go about it. Um, I have some folks too, that'll just track like once or twice a week, just so that they kind of know where they're at, because yeah. the way that I look at it is it's, it's just data. It's just a tool like many other tools that are out there. Um, and so 
that can be, uh, you know, it, it can be used in, in whatever is comfortable for you. I've also had some people just track their feelings, how they're feeling around their meals. Are they hungry? Are they full? That sensation and how that relates to how they feel in their movement, uh, you know, sessions and things like that. So mm -hmm. there's different ways to track outside of just straight, you know, a food log, counting calories, et cetera. There's, there's certainly yeah. other methods. That That's so important that you just mentioned that because I think – a big part of tracking can either be super beneficial to some people or a little bit triggering because we can mm -hmm. get a little bit obsessive in that. So kind of like taking a hand in hand approach of like, this is what I'm eating calorically. How does that make me feel so that we can recenter? Cause really the focus of the bariatric surgery after we have this tool is to like relearn our hunger and fullness cues. So associating calories and carbs and fats and all of those balances that we're learning to the fullness or the satiation or like, you know, so with certain levels of nutrition in my system, I can get in a better pump or I feel better energy or I'm getting better gains that like help me achieve my goals. So mm -hmm. I think I love that you mentioned that, Kim. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think it's just all about what, what do you feel most comfortable with? What's going to be most beneficial for you? You know what I mean? To move you along towards whatever this goal that it is that you're working on. And there's going to be that journey where maybe in the beginning, initially journaling is really great. And then down the road, you don't care for it. I mean, you know what I mean? So it, it's just all going to be about where you're at in your, you know, uh, your journey, how you feel with that, how it's helping you reach your goals. Would you totally agree, agree that um, if you have someone that's coming to you and they say, I've been at a plateau for X amount of months, I'll just not, I'm not losing anything. I want to be here. Um, and you ask, like, maybe they're not tracking right now. And you ask them, well, how many calories are you getting? And they'll say, oh, at I'm at least getting 1200 or something. But, you know, are they really like, I like to have proof that they actually are getting 1200 because I can't even tell you how many times where a client or patient has told me, oh, I'm for sure getting this, but they're not even getting 800 calories on average when they're thinking they're getting 12 to 1400. Right. So I, I ask about the importance of tracking just because even, even if people think they eat quote unquote, the same thing every day, it never changes. Like still, they can be so unaware of what they're even taking in. And that's a huge flag, you know, to us, you know, to, to coach them into how they should be eating for their goals, you know? Yeah, so that, that's why I ask about the importance of tracking and how many people may track and, you know, how often you're looking at that information and correcting. I mean, I think it's good data. I do. Um, I'm I'm not a person that's like opposed to tracking. I, I like tracking just for for feedback, like personally for myself. Like if I'm yeah. like off track and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to you know increase some muscle mass right now, I'll track for maybe a, just a, a week or two just to see where I'm at, so I kind of have an idea of where where I'm at with my numbers and what area I can make an, a you know a change in. And right. I think then at that point, once you have a, an idea of like, okay, yeah, my protein hasn't been as high as I thought it was, or you know, I'm really not eating enough carbohydrates around my workouts. That's where we can make an intervention and. And, you know, once you do that, you can go on with that for a little while. And then again, you can start tracking down the road again, if you feel like you need that data. Right. I always yeah. ask people at least become comfortable with the tracking app of your choice, because yeah. even though you might not track every single day of the year or even of the week, um, at least you're comfortable enough with some type of method to where you can accurately track for, let's say seven days and get a good, like, back on track awareness of where you actually are because some people you know they they think they're the same as they were three months ago but maybe they've right. fallen off track right, right. and track i think that a lot. yeah track track track, track i think track, that track. Um, 
I think that it's like, like Kim was saying, whether you're like already in the midst of your journey, you already have all the knowledge and you just need like a little bit of a reset. It's a great place to like grab some data points for like a week or two and then be like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I could head. But I think right. for a bariatric patient in the beginning where tracking works as a good starting point, quote unquote, is that for me at least, it helped me understand portions and what they amount to and mm-hmm. how that contributes to my goals. Because a lot of people- who struggle with obesity, they have lost sight of, you know, what does a portion of brown rice equal out to? What does, Mm -hmm. what does 30 grams of protein in the form of chicken look like? So Mm -hmm. it was less obsessive for me, more of like a, Hey, I want to learn what this stuff equals out to so that I can act accordingly in my day to day. That's awesome. And I, yeah, I think everybody should have their own form of learning like that after surgery to really know I mean, it's actually a lot of the stuff that's in our manual. Wouldn't you agree, Gianna? Like a lot of yeah. reference lists yeah. and methods. And, and, and yeah. And for some people, it's just like hands-on works a little better. So kind of like seeing it in their day-to-day life helps mm-hmm. them to like associate it to what it, what it amounts to. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kim, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, the reason, uh, just to let everybody know how, how we met, we all met at the bariatric retreat uh, that Bariatric Society puts on. We met in San Antonio and um, Gianna and I attended your uh, session talking about muscles and macros and you were there with your client, Rob Demetio, and um, we really loved the topic and we loved the conversation and just, you know, the dynamic of you two to begin with, but um we really liked how you guys broke down his exact, his example of, you know, he lost a substantial amount of weight. He thought uh, of uh, weight and did not look healthy. Like, you know, most people would be like, Oh, I reached my scale weight, but he looked at his scale weight and he was like, uh, no, I look like a greyhound as he says. (laughs) And, um, you know, how you guys approached that and what did his, um, you know, increasing of calories look like, like, I, I really like for you to just tell like the short version of that story and how, you know, just the awareness of his calories and a little bit of education went a long way with him. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when Rob came to me, he, he, you know, he had said, okay, I want, you know, I want to do this for the next year. I'd like to go through different cycles. And so his first goal was to put on muscle mass because as he went through that rapid weight loss phase and, and then stayed at, you know, uh, you know, around his maintenance weight for a little bit, he just realized he wanted to put on some more muscle and, and change his body composition in that way. And so um, we were really focused on incrementally increasing overall calories, protein, carbohydrates, etc. So when we first started, I want to say maybe he was around like 1600, I think was his standard, like, you know, kind of hang around intake that he had been doing, you know, and, and felt okay with. Um, and so from there we started gradually increasing. So he was able to, uh, you know, keep in mind at this point, Rob was, I think three years post-op, four years post-op at that point. So he he's able to tolerate more nutrition versus someone that is earlier out where we aren't able to make these kinds of significant increases. So I, I want to just preface the story with that. Rob is Mm -hmm. farther out in his journey where he's able to tolerate, you know, more food. So that being right. said, we did this in a very slow way. So we, we increased his calories. I want to say our first, uh, increase was up to about 2,400 to see how he felt with that. And he was doing fine. And when we were looking at his numbers, cause at the same time as us tracking his overall intake, we were tracking his body composition changes and Rob mm-hmm. is, he loves tracking both. So he was in there every day. And so basically every about month to, to six weeks or so we would, make a change. And so we would at that point at 2400 realized it was just not enough for the amount of movement and lifting that he was doing. So we went up again. So I believe we went up to like 2800. And so we were just making these small 
increases, but over time, it wasn't like week to week to week. It would be like uh-huh. four to six weeks before we made any changes because we wanted to assess how the nutrition he was consuming was impacting his body composition. So uh-huh. I always tell this to folks, you know, gaining muscle is difficult. It is, it's, it's a, it's a full-time job because you uh-huh. have to really make sure you're putting in the work in the gym, in the resistance training and progressive overload and doing a proper, you know, formatted uh, workout for that. And then of course, matching that with your nutrition and you are eating basically every couple hours throughout the day, because again, because someone that's had bariatric surgery can't eat a large volume at once. Now, everyone's going to be different on that in terms of their volume, but you know, it's, it's more challenging when you've had bariatric surgery, you want to go, Oh, I want to go to 2000 calories. Well, some people can't eat 600 calories at a time. They just can't, you know, it just depends on what they can tolerate. So for the way that we did it with Rob, we, we just incrementally kept increasing. So then we went to like 32 and I believe our finishing point was at 3,600. And throughout that time, what was great too, was that we noticed he was really putting on primarily muscle and very minimal body fat. Um, he, I I believe throughout the process, he only gained about one or 2% in body fat and he really significantly put on muscle. So we knew we were in the right amount in terms of calories, carbohydrates, proteins, fats. And we increased all of those, um, each time we talked about, like I said, every four to six weeks, we kind of readjusted. Um, so it was a process. And then after that, he wanted to start leaning out. So then we basically went back the other direction. Now I will say what, for those listening, you know, when you're leaning out, we don't want to go too low in calories in that point either, because then you start utilizing your muscle as an energy source. Mm -hmm. So the key to that nutrition is keeping your protein intake high, but finding that caloric, um, you know, uh, reduction where it's just enough to put you in a minor, uh, you know, decrease. So meaning a little bit less than what your body needs so that you are in a bit of a, you know, lower intake based on what you need so that you can see some body fat loss, but we want to keep the protein intake high to maintain our muscle. Right. Which leads me to my next question. So I wanted you to give our listeners, uh, a quick and dirty of how, why muscle is so important and what it does for us related to weight loss and maintenance, because I can't tell you how much, you know, as much education as I put in my education or, you know, as much time as I have to explain it, people still don't tend to get the importance around muscle and weight maintenance. I mean, it goes well beyond weight. We know that too, but um, it's just a difficult thing to communicate to people and for them to actually understand like muscle rules the roost when it comes to, you know, moving your body and wanting to achieve your weight loss, you know, like you want to. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And you know, the thing is, is during that rapid weight loss phase, you know, when our intake is at its lowest point, that first, you know, three to six months, call it even up to that first year, really, um, you are, you know, we can't say, okay, body, don't lose any muscle. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to lose some muscle most likely with fat, right? Yeah. Cause it's um, so fast. Exactly. And your, your intake is so low, right? And mm-hmm. so you're going to, you know, have some muscle wasting, which we want to minimize as much as possible. And I really do think that that's going to be a focus area as we move forward in the research of bariatric and metabolic surgery. I is hope going so. to be Yeah. How do we preserve muscle mass throughout this process? Because as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, it is critical for life. Remember that as we age pretty much every decade after basically 40 and beyond, we're losing muscle mass every decade. And Mm -hmm. so it's just going down over time. And the best way to prevent that and, and really the repercussions of that, which is decreased overall metabolism, which makes it then easier for us to put on body fat because our overall caloric burn is less when we don't have as much muscle. And that Mm -hmm. makes it more difficult to maintain and, or not, you know, gain body 
body fat over time. Um, we want to incorporate resistance training to really that stimulus is necessary for our muscles, but the muscle keeping that muscle mass is, is so important as we get older for flexibility, mobility, preventing injuries and sarcopenia and things like that. So mm -hmm. The protein intake is really important um, throughout this mm -hmm. entire thing. And so Gianna, as you were saying, when you said earlier that like, you didn't really know why we've taken all this protein, you know, yeah. it's emphasized so strongly initially because unlike the other, you know, macronutrients, we have to have protein for not only muscle preservation, but for things like hormones and antibodies and the chemical reactions that are happening in our body require amino acids. And so nearly yeah. most things that are happening in our body require amino acids, which is another fancy word for protein. And so it is incredibly important that we really keep that as the forefront in terms of our overall nutrition. But then if you are trying to change your body composition and you want to gain muscle, it takes even more protein intake to meet those needs. So, yeah. um, it's really critical. Yeah. And I think in the beginning, um, we're just trying to preserve the muscle that we have intact, exactly. like in that first year while you're losing yep. like that initial bulk of the weight, but you're also trying to hold on to like your regular functions. Like you said, like rebalancing your hormones, because that's a huge thing with major weight loss. And then oh, yeah. the hair loss and the the brittle yeah. nails and all the things, because really when we're in that new, nu that nutrient deficit and we're not getting enough protein, our body's going to start taking from other places and bariatric patients see that firsthand. I mean, in that first year, I had lost over 120 pounds, um, but before I had started my own bulking journey and started, um, you know, going into a caloric surplus and upping my protein and being able to eat more, I was down to 127 pounds and I could barely open like a jar of pasta sauce. Like I would have to have my boyfriend help mm -hmm. me out because my, I had lost so much muscle mass um, and I wasn't quite mentally ready to start increasing calories. But when I got to that place, you know, I went from about a thousand calories a day to now I'm probably at about 2,200 in the maintenance phase. Some days I'm in a surplus, but you know, that's cause I'm, I'm lifting weights and I'm, and I'm doing other things to support that muscle growth. Um, but in the beginning when we're just like you said, like physically unable to take in more than that, right. Um, that's where it can be a challenge and emphasizing that protein and why it's so important, I think is huge um, in those beginning phases, helping people understand why we're doing it. Right. I always say, say to my clients, I'm like, I, I assume that everyone inside the mind is a kid. You know, when you're a kid, you want to know why about mm -hmm. everything. And I, I don't think adults are any different. You know, if there's a goal we're aiming after and there's a specific way to do something, I believe the importance shoots up a hundred times if they understand the reason why it puts a lot more emphasis on, you know, just the importance in general, but yeah. it, it allows them to actually connect with the reason and resonate with why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> it just makes it all that more important. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so for, I want to hear from both of you on this. So Gianna, you can start, but I want to know, just tell our listeners. So if there's someone out there that, you know, is comfortable enough increasing their calories on their own, but they're not really sure how to increase calories as a post weight loss surgery patient, like how, how would you personally in a healthfully way, of course, um, increase your calories throughout the day, considering the size of your stomach and the amount of times you have to eat throughout the day? What's easy ways to do that? Yeah, I think this is a great question. And I think this took for me to realize that bariatric meal prep becomes a different kind of lifestyle that we have to adjust to in a different way than the average person. So I thought something that really resonated with me from Kim and Rob's presentation at the bariatric retreat was emphasizing how Rob took the time to eat every couple of hours. And mm -hmm. that's where I've been at since probably a little bit after the one year mark of my journey, realizing that 
I do breakfast and then sometimes breakfast too and then a snack and then lunch and then the other half of my lunch and then another snack and then maybe you know a starter dinner and then another dinner and then something like to finish the day like eating throughout the day and listening to those hunger cues and respond to uh, excuse me responding to them as they occur is super helpful because I think what was happening for me is you know I'd be working or whatever I'd get the hunger cue a couple hours after eating I would ignore it because we're taught like breakfast, lunch, dinner, that's it, you know. Um, I would ignore it. My sleeve would shrink up, kind of like your stomach, you know, shrinks up a little bit throughout the day if you don't eat. And then when I would go to eat again, I could only get in like two bites and then I'd be absolutely full. Um, So just keeping my sleeve open, quote unquote, throughout the day was what worked for me and just um, eating more often. I think that that's how I got to a point where I was able to increase my calories, get in more protein throughout the day. And obviously we want to be getting that from as many whole sources as we can, like actual Mm -hmm. food. But if you need to supplement, if that's where you're at in your journey, there is no shame in that. So getting Mm -hmm. in protein shakes and protein bars and, you know, I still use supplementation and I am over three years out. So yeah, just, I think it's almost necessary. I mean, (laughs) to, to eat, yeah, an entire days of whole foods. No, I shouldn't say whole foods, but just like food, food rather than yeah. something that packs a lot of calories or mm. protein per size. Right. I mean, I think it's almost necessary for you guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, much less for us as I, even the average person, I think that we are on a time constraint, especially if you're a high functioning human, just getting in a protein bar can give you a nice amount of calories, a little bit of extra protein for the day. And if you're in a phase where you're in a caloric surplus and you're trying to eat, you know, 0.5 to one gram of protein per pound of, of your desired weight to get to a certain like muscle mass, that's a lot of protein. I mean, I'm at a place now where I try to reach for 150 a day grams of protein and, and it's a lot. So supplementing can really help. But I think uh, the key takeaway, just to circle back to your initial question is like, eating often every couple of hours and that takes preparation but it doesn't have to be complicated like rob talks Mm -hmm. about this too you know taking a couple hours one day a week to prepare yourself for the week can make it doable to eat every couple of hours yeah what about you kim what would you say are easy ways to increase protein add add carbs add healthy fats to meals that they may already be having or how to split up their timing or the amount of meals that they're having Yeah. I mean, let me just first start off by saying that, you know, depending upon a person's goal, they may not have to eat as frequently as, as what we're talking about, you know, with Gianna and like Rob, Mm -hmm. because I I do, I liked sometimes when folks hear like what Rob was doing, they're like, oh my gosh, is that what it takes? And I'm like, listen, everybody's (laughs) the, the, the scope of what you're going to have to do in terms of increasing is going to be totally dependent upon you, your goals, you know, where you're coming from. Yeah. Your, 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 uh, body composition, et cetera. So it may not necessarily require that frequent of eating for everybody, but it definitely, I completely 100% agree uh, that you will most likely have to add in one, two, or three snacks because, Mm -hmm. again, as a bariatric individual that has had their stomach reduced in size, the capacity that it can hold is limited. So that means that in order to meet a set amount of calories, carbs, protein, fat, we might have to increase the frequency to do that. So Mm -hmm. what I will do is, again, I always start with where the person is, and then we just gradually increase, you know, we might add an extra slice of string cheese, or we might add a scoop of whey protein powder to something 
something that they're already eating in the day. Again, we start with where they're at, build from there, and then we can just make small changes so it's gradual and over time it's easier to, you know, in implement. So like I said, we might um, just try by adding a one ounce of additional protein at each meal. So right there, that's 21 more grams of protein. Just by adding in three total ounces more in a day, mm -hmm. you know, split up into three meals, we can do that. We can add it to your snacks. You can do things like Greek yogurt. I have a client right now that does Greek yogurt with a scoop of whey protein powder at night before bed because she's yep. generally short, you know, by the time of the day comes, you know, she might be short on protein. That's mm -hmm. a great way to get in some carbs and protein. I do try to incorporate both carbs and protein or healthy fat, a combination um, at each time that we sit down, because that way all of our you know, overall intake is going up and it's not just so heavily focused on only protein or, you know, only just a carb. So try to pair that at each time. So like, you know, a cottage cheese with some berries or string cheese with an apple or deli meats wrapped around a cheese stick and some mm -hmm. carrots or something like that. It doesn't have to be sophisticated. Like Gianna was saying, it doesn't have no. to be hard. It can just be right. these small little additions that add up over time. And, and I'll just finish with this. It takes time. So you're not going to just, today I added hundred calories, tomorrow I'm going to add another. No, no, no. You're going to do this for, <laughs> you know, don't. yeah, please don't. Um, you're going to do this for maybe a couple weeks at a time. And then we're going to try another increase. So yeah. take it slow and see how your body feels. I yeah, wanted to put Kim, a few I more love... examples. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Whitney. Um, I love that Kim said like, and I want to emphasize this. It really does depend where you're at in your journey and what your body specifically can tolerate. Like, you know, if you can take in smaller portions and it takes more frequency for you to get in those macros throughout the day, like eating every couple hours might be for you. And, but then I know some other bariatric patients who can get in those bigger meals and there's nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just, Hey, how can I focus this to make it nutrient dense and get in what I need throughout my day and how it's structured. And I think a big shift in focus for me was like making sure everything that I did put in my mouth had some sort of nutritional value. I think to myself, whenever I go to eat something, is this going to support my macro goals for the day? Because um, mm -hmm. sometimes we tend to fill up on like empty foods, you know what I mean? That that aren't really going to contribute. And then we've taken up that real estate and we there's only so much time in the day to get to meet our goals. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that kind of mindset shift can help. Mm -hmm. I like giving um actual... Well, you gave, you gave a few examples there, Kim, but um, I'm going to add to it. But like throughout the day, let's say someone's having a um, a protein shake, but all they're putting is a skim milk or a plant-based milk and the protein powder. And that's it. Like that's all that's, that's, they're not thinking beyond the protein mindset. So right. um, a very easy way to increase your calories with something like that would be to add some frozen fruit to it for healthy carbs and also adding, let's say, frozen avocado for your healthy mm -hmm. fats. So you're kind of balancing out your macros. You're going to feel fuller yeah. for longer, more energized for longer, and you just really easily increase your calories in a very drinkable and, you know, yep. easily digestible form. Mm -hmm. um, but even adding, you know, I, I have to teach a lot about healthy fats because a lot of my population is like anti-fats. They're from the generation where fats were terrible and they've been burned and they're like, I never eat fats, but people don't realize they need fats to really um, absorb those fat soluble vitamins. And just, you know, they offer so many benefits to us too. Yep. But so I have to educate a lot on fat. So adding a scoop of almond butter, you know, a healthy form of almond butter or peanut butter to something or avocado, if you like avocado, nuts, seeds, yeah. nut butters, healthy oils, like people are very scared of these things. So I have to make it a point to educate how to add these types of things to 
our meals and snacks as well. It's not yeah. only just about protein because, you know, a lot of people can be where they need to be at with protein and that's kind of easy right. for them. But they're like, well, where am I missing? And I'm like, well, you got two other macronutrients. You've got some yeah. carbs and yeah. fats we can add. <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. a lot of folks that like overnight oats in the morning just because they can make it ahead of time. We can add yes. like chia seeds as well for some yeah. fat. And then we've got the whey protein. You can add Greek yogurt or milk, obviously the oats. Mm -hmm. You can add fruit. I mean, it's you're hitting all the, the boxes, so to speak. Um, and yeah, like yeah. you were just saying, yeah, there are, you know, there are those other two macronutrients. Carbs and fat get kind of a bad rap, especially in our, you know, population because we're so focused on the protein. But for those that have these specific movement and training and fitness goals, they play a critical role. As you just mentioned, fats are so important, but hormone development. So, you know, if, if we're not, and if you're not absorbing A, D, E, and K, that's a problem. I mean, if we're mm -hmm. going to have some vitamin and mineral deficiencies down the road, that's not going to be good. So they mm -hmm. all play a role. Carbs being critical for moving our bodies at moderate yeah. intensity levels. And so talk, talk about carbs for a second. Yeah. For, I for mean, everybody. I'll just, I'll, I'll just kind of summarize it nicely. You know, it, basically anything above a walk, your body's going to be utilizing carbohydrates because at moderate to high intensity levels, carbohydrate is the main and preferred energy source that the muscles can use to move, right? And to contract and to create ATP, which is the mm -hmm. energy currency of the cell that allows your body to basically perform whatever that movement is you're doing. And so if we're not taking any carbs and, and ways to know that you're like too low is just if you, you, you can't even get through a workout. You're always just so fatigued. You're, you know, you're, you're burning, you're just exhausted. You'd have to stop. Like you're only like 10 minutes in that's a cue. That's a cue that overall nutritional intake is likely not meeting the movement that you're doing. And so what are the actual symptoms there to Kim? Like yeah. weakness, shakiness, yeah. low Fatigue, blood sugar feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All those things. Um, it's not sleeping well, not recovering well, meaning prolonged soreness for three, four, five days from a workout that tells us that you're not eating whether it's carbohydrates or protein or adequate calories. Also, um, just being sick more frequently. Um, our body's immune system is suppressed when we are not taking in adequate overall energy and carbohydrate mm -hmm. intake. And so, um, and of course, protein plays a role in, in antibodies as well. So, I mean, those are just right off the top of my head that I can tell you. And so normally if you're not feeling good, you're sore all the time, you're sick all the time, you're not sleeping well, we need to take a look at what we're doing for our nutrition. So, right. you know, and, and again, normally <clears throat> I look at carbs because of the fact that our clientele is, you know, we're really focused primarily on protein. Right. I could talk. I probably am going to do a whole episode on carbs, just educating yes. on carbs. Yes, I, because I diet make a culture, note on that. A lot yeah. of us come from a background of being obese our whole life and yo-yo dieting a different diet culture. I mean, there was a phase where like fats were associated to being fat, to put it simply. Sure. And now, you know, carbohydrates, keto culture has made us all think like, ah, like carbohydrates, they're just going to go right. right to our belly. You know what I mean? Like totally. that and just what Kim was just saying, like how you were explaining how carbohydrates function in our workouts and how we feel and like all the functions of the body, like that put simply is food for fuel. Mm -hmm. And that's really such a big learning of being a bariatric patient is that food is meant to be fuel. And while it is meant to be enjoyed, like we can use it to function in so many different ways and we have control over that. And it's really an incredible thing. Right. And when you think about it too, carbohydrate foods are going to provide that fiber to our diet too, which is important for someone that has had bariatric surgery for mm -hmm. preventing constipation, for yeah. really rounding out, kind of making that meal feel more, you know, filling, so to speak, so that you do enjoy it and makes you feel full longer because of that fiber that you pairing with the protein and that kind of delays right. that processing of, of that in digestion. So it, they, they, when we don't, when we do like keto and we do, you know, all these ridiculously low carb diets, you're, you're really missing the boat on, you're missing mm -hmm. a huge amount of nutrition that your body 
body, you know, really desperately needs. And mm-hmm. I'll right. just say this real quick. I, I, I just had on my podcast, um, last week, I had a psychologist and a registered dietitian who work in the eating disorder field, but specifically with mm. bariatric patients. Mm, and, wow. um, that Chandra was saying the dietitian, she was saying that a lot of times when she works with folks that struggle with binge eating, it's because they are so restrictive on carbohydrate that by the nighttime, you know, they're starving for, and their body needs mm. carbs because mm-hmm. they've moved yes. their body. They've exercised, they've, you know, whatever it might be that they did for the day, their body's demanding carbohydrate. And so mm. you get that loss of control feeling because you're like, oh my God, I need a carbohydrate because I'm starving. Your body's like, please. And then you get that guilt and shame associated with it. And it kind of turns into this, you know, real unfortunate cycle. And, um, you know, they really were talking quite a bit about that relationship. And and like you said, Gianna, really healing that relationship with food and understanding the purposes that they play in our body and just understanding that they, they're part of a healthy overall diet. They can fit in a post-bariatric journey. Right. Right. And there's, and there's something to be said about feeling that that feeling of being satiated at the end of the day, like totally. not, not hungering for something. And if you're having that feeling at the end of the day, it's typically because your macros are out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always something to be said about, you know, if you're not feeling your best at the end of the day, you are missing something. So it's very valuable to know how to kind of reflect on the day and say, what did I do? So this is where tracking or journaling, or, you know, just having a, a, a list of a daily planner of, you know, nutrition goals or, you know, um, exercise goals. You can kind of look back and see, well, how did my day goal go, go, <laughs> and, <laughs> how did my day go? And what am I missing? So listening to what your body's literally telling you in terms of the way you're feeling physically and mentally and then comparing that to your daily notes, that's huge, I think, for someone for accountability and just learning your body. I totally agree. Right. Um, last thing, and then we're going to kind of wrap it up here, but what's your opinion, not opinion, but let's talk a little bit about getting beyond the scale weight to determine success. Because we all know, you know, it, almost every uh, weight loss patient, not even, not even just bariatric, but anyone who struggles with obesity, it's the scale weight that they mentally want to use to determine whether they are succeeding with their health goals or not. I want to get past that. And obviously we need the scale weight for certain reasons, but we cannot let that determine, you know, your overall success with anything. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say, you know, I think again, as we move forward in the, you know, metabolic and bariatric field, um, I think body composition is going to become more of a um, measurement and outcome measurement um, rather than BMI body mass index, where we use height to weight ratios. Um, Mm -hmm. And we take into account that this person has put on significant muscle mass. So yes, their weight has gone up on the scale, but it is from muscle, which is exactly what we want. Right. And so the scale just doesn't give us the full picture as to what is actually going on in the body. And so in my opinion, body composition, and I think we're kind of moving in that direction slowly, um, but in the field of research and in metabolic and bariatric surgery, they're, they're moving more towards utilizing body composition in clinical settings um, to really take a look at both preventing that muscle loss in the rapid weight loss phase, but then how do we optimize body composition after the surgery so that, you know, folks are getting their, you know, metabolism stimulated by increasing muscle, et cetera. So I think that hopefully we're going to move in that direction, but I would just say too, of course, all the non-skill victories as to why did you choose to have the surgery? Maybe it was, I want to move with my kids. I want to be able to go and run around in in the backyard with them. I want to be able to ride in the the airplane without my seatbelt. I mean, you know, without an extender on the seatbelt, whatever it might be, there's 
so many more reasons um, outside of the scale that make your journey, you know, uh, you know, increasing your, your your health overall. So I try to get folks to look at all those other things as well. And honestly, I I try to move away from the scale as much as possible with my clients. I really encourage them to do body composition measurements. Yeah. yeah. And there absolutely. really are so many other, like you said, like so many other worthy measurements that I found throughout my journey, specifically NSVs, like you're saying, like fitting on a ride you couldn't fit on before, fitting into clothes that, you know, help you feel inspired or, you know, being able to do a certain movement that your mobility before didn't allow for. Totally. And, you know, I think there's a certain point later on in the journey after you've lost the initial weight and your body balances out. Like I said, I had gotten down to 127 when I'd gone on my muscle gain journey. Like I'm now up to about 160 and I don't consider that regain. I consider physiologically my body balanced out to where it needed to be at a healthy weight. Yeah. And now that I'm in that place, like I have tucked my scale away, me and her, like we don't really talk very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I've gone, yeah, I mean, even in not- our program, like our program, I don't really ever talk. This sounds bogus. Like be- being in a post-bariatric weight loss program or accountability program like ours, I really don't. And, it, and this comes natural. I don't do it on purpose. We don't talk about weight that often. Like I get their initial weight, but we focus on literally everything else that doesn't revolve around the scale. If you're doing everything else, like you're supposed to, you're going to probably achieve that scale weight you want. But you know, if this, if that, if your mind is so focused on that number on the, on the scale, you're, you're screwed from the get go. I mean, you're, you're not going to be in a mentally healthy place or a good mindset ever until you get that, yeah. you know, mindset, right. Yeah. And I yeah, was and a lot of this too- comes down to, oh, I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say a lot of this comes down to science. Like you guys are speaking, like if you're in a caloric deficit, according to a plan that a professional has devised for you, the results are going to come. Let's focus on the habits that produce them. And the feeling, like, how do we feel when we're eating these good meals? How do we feel when we look in the mirror? How do we feel in our clothes, et cetera? And mm-hmm. all of that just falls into place over time. Obsessing mm-hmm. over the scale is just, it's no mm-hmm. good all around. Yeah. And I was going to say my, in my clientele particularly, because most, you know, everybody that I work with has some kind of a, whether it might be body composition change or they want to put on muscle or they're training for a half marathon or whatever it might be. A lot of the non-scale victories are also just, how did I feel in my program? How am I feeling in my training sessions? Did I make it through without an injury or an illness or any setbacks or, you know, that's also indicative of good nutrition and saying, okay, I'm fueling my body properly to meet these cool new goals that I have, you know? And so there's, there's just so much more that you can focus on. And the scale oftentimes does not correlate with, Mm -mm. you know, because think about it. If you, if you did increase your carbohydrates, because dang it, I needed more carbs to fuel this awesome new goal I have. Yes. Guess what? You're taking in water when you store glycogen in the cell as carbohydrate. And so the number Mm -hmm. on the scale is going to go up. And that does not mean that you put on body fat. It means that your body actually has more water and that's okay. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. (laughs) You know? And so it's the same with gaining muscle or, you know, be, or if you're constipated, I mean, there's just so many reasons that impact our day-to-day, you know, numbers. And it, it can just be such a, you know, it's a mind game and it's, and it's, it stinks because there's so many other great things that you're achieving and the scale can kind of detract from that. And it's like, oh my gosh, don't, don't do that. You know, cause there's so many great things you're doing. Right. Right. And Kim, I think a lot of people are probably wondering real quickly in terms yeah. of body composition, is that measured through one of those fancy scales that kind of gives you those numbers? Like how are you measuring body comp for your clients or how are your clients yeah. doing it on their own? 
So a lot of folks do bioelectrical impedance analysis, so BIA, um, and those are those like um, you, you can get you, a lot of the gyms have them. I mean, you can get on the Tanita scale and, and do that as well if you want one for your home. But a lot mm -hmm. of the um, in-body scans that they run at um, the gyms, they'll have those or okay. other folks will pay. Um, a, a lot of places, you know, have DEXA scans available. And so DEXA is going to look at, you know, compartment uh, method and, and look a little bit more at um, not only like bone, but but your your body fat, of course, water compartment. Um, and so there's different methods to do it. Um, I know I had on my podcast, a, um, she's a dietitian and a psychologist. Her name's Nina Crowley, and she works for SICA. SICA is a very, very accurate uh, bioelectrical impedance analysis. Um, and most of their um, scales are in offices, like in medical facilities. So they're they're not quite as accessible yet as having in your home. I do believe they're developing a line that'll be available for folks to have in their home. But the best nice. way I would just say is, so let me just say this too. Every uh, measurement is going to have some inborn error to it, and that's okay. My advice is always just let's look at the trend. Okay, so mm -hmm. we get our, you know, some people have it on their home scale. Is it trending up? Is it trending down? That can kind of give us an indication um, of which way we're going, you know, instead of looking at the exact number, which, yes, there's going to be some error in that. Um, it's more important to kind of understand which direction it's going overall. Right, exactly. Love that. Great, great, great recommendation awesome. there. Yeah, and I recommend everybody have some you... kind of a scale that tracks body fat percentage, yeah. lean mass, mm -hmm. something other than weight. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Sorry. Gina. Um, and Kim, I did hear you mention your podcast. So now is the time for the shameless plug. Oh, shameless we would plug. love to hear. <laughs> we always have a shameless plug moment. Oh. We would love to hear more about your podcast and where people sure. can find you on Spotify, Instagram, website. Like, yeah. can we, can we hear more about where Absolutely. to find you? Yeah. Well, first, thanks so much. This is so much fun. I, I love, I just love chatting about, you know, just nutrition, movement, all these things. It's so much fun. And um, I just really appreciate yes. it today. Thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, I have, so the active bariatric nutrition podcast, I, I say weekly, but I'm going to be honest over the holidays, I've kind of been going every other week or so over this last month or so, just because of, you know, craziness, kids, mm -hmm. all the things going on. Um, but typically I do release um, an episode each week on Mondays. Um, and you can find the active bariatric nutrition podcast on any, um, you know, anywhere you listen to your podcast, they're pretty much it's available on all the platforms. Um, and then you can follow me on my Instagram page, which is at active bariatric. I don't know why I always have to say at, like I have to always do that, but <laughs> just like because I'm seeing it in my head and I'm like at, at yeah, yeah. I do this every time. Anyways, and then um, I'm also on Facebook. I have Active Bariatric Nutrition Community and my website. If you're wanting to learn more about my one-to-one -one bariatric nutrition coaching services, uh, my website is activebariatricnutrition.com. Well, I am almost certain we're going to have people come our way that need your services. So we look forward to sending people your way and yeah, kind of collaborating on some things together Absolutely. where it's been a joy. I just love your energy and your attitude and the way oh. you uh, work with your clients. I just, I just love you. Oh, thank you. Yes, Both me too. Guys and guys Kim, well. thank you so much for your dedication in the community. I mean, there's just such a need for people that understand the intersection of bariatrics and mm -hmm. athletics. And there is a point in, in most people's journey where they reach that and that resource just isn't uh, widely known. So you are doing wonderful service, my friend. Aww, yeah. Great thank niche. You. <laughs> thank you guys. I appreciate it. And I wish you guys the best as well as we go into 2024 and I'm excited to collaborate here in the future. Oh yes. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you on again, but yes. until next time, have an amazing day and uh, take care. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Have thank a good you. one guys. Bye-bye.
If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to give our podcast a rating and also follow and share this podcast. By doing this, you make our podcast easier to find so that others in the weight loss surgery community can hear us. If you'd like to know more about Level Up Bariatrics or if you'd like to work with us, visit our website at theleveluphub.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Level Up Bariatrics. See you next time.